0: Hello and welcome to this, our first podcast of 2018. Thanks for coming back and we hope we can provide you with some fantastic and engaging content this year. We have a lot coming up and we can't wait to share it with you. On today's podcast, Ian and I are joined by Julia Prandegast. Julia's debut novel, The Earth Does Not Get Fat, is forthcoming with the University of Western Australia Press, April 2018. Julia is a lecturer in Writing and Literature at Swinburne University, Melbourne. Bruce Pascoe suggested that Julia will be in the top echelon of Australian writers, and we're very pleased to have her on this episode. In the media section, we talk about Altered Carbon, Fargo, and Shrine by Tim Winton. And for the topic, we chat about the power of empathy used in writing. As always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate in contacting me on my email, mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello, and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. My name is Joel Martin, and we are back in 2018. I got the year right, Ian. Can you believe that? Um... First podcast yes. of the year. I know. Well done. You're, you're already kicking goals, Joel. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'm proud.
1: Listen, I
2: don't
0: know. You've started the year off really well. <laughs> you're the first uh, co host on the podcast this year. Mm. Luke's not coming back. Isn't obviously. he? I mean, you complimented me. First thing you said. Yeah. Oh, right. There we go. I so mean, I'm just staking my claim. Yeah.
2: It'll t- be constant compliments. That's basically what the whole podcast yeah, is going to be. The sole and only co host. Yeah. There Luke. we go. Don't tell Luke. <laughs> okay. I won't tell Luke. Thank there you. you.
0: Um, <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Julia. Thank, Thank you. you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That we have an audience today as well, <laughs> ladies and it's gentlemen. True, yeah. uh, it's not like Luke is here or anything. No, <laughs> not um, at all. Fantastic. Uh, Ian, uh, how has your week been? Have you been getting up to much? Oh,
2: no, look, it's, it's uh, pretty. I've just been plugging away at my day job and uh, doing a little bit of drafting, which has been fun. I, I'm always a fan of drafting. Uh, you know, you, you've got a concept a long time ago. So I, I realized I've had a concept like uh, from a year ago. I was working on this thing on a plane one time, and here I am writing a draft of it. So that's a nice yeah, feel. absolutely. That's nice.
0: Is it is it one of those feelings when you're like, wow, this thing's amazing, or is it like, ooh, I wrote this? Yeah, look with how tired
2: I've been when I've got around to writing, <laughs> I think it's been a bit of oh, I'll just push through. Right. We're in the crappy sure. first draft you know, mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm getting, I'm getting there. I'm, I think about that pushing through stage. And for me personally, when I'm drafting,
0: I find uh-huh. I just need to kind of get into a little bit. So yeah, it's okay. Starting now. Yeah, fantastic. Julia, here's a question for you. I'm mm-hmm. one of those kinds of people that early on in my writing career, I was like super enthusiastic about the first draft. The first draft was the most enjoyable thing for mm-hmm. me. And I was, you know, all over it in the second drafts, the third drafts got mm-hmm. a bit harder because you know you have to refine and mm. but now i'm terrified of first drafting mm-hmm. because whenever i look at this raw lump of garbage <laughs> on my <laughs> on my computer screen or on my notepad i'm just like i have anxiety to keep going but then when i get to the second draft i'm like this is amazing and i can nut this uh. down i can figure this mm-hmm. out Do you, have you felt that
3: yeah it's, it's a fascinating question i I think that the first draft is. There's a real urgency about the first yeah. draft for mm. me. So whatever the idea is that takes me, I really, I feel like I just can't leave it alone until I've yeah. got it down. And and I think that in some ways, when that first draft is on the page, that that perhaps we think it's more finished or it's better than it actually is. Yeah. And then I think that the work of coming back to it and. Mm. Um, teasing it out and um, working out what you've done um, mm. is different work altogether and I love it equally but, um, yeah, the, the adrenaline and the urgency of a first draft when there's an idea that, that's haunting yeah. you or whatever it is, I, I love. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
0: I think with me, it's the the urgency that you mention is definitely just sheer bloody terror to get to the <laughs> end of it. Just like get this over with, get this over with, please! I want this out right. of my brain. I just don't want to look at this anymore. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it's really interesting. I wonder yeah. if you go through stages as well.
2: I think so, and I think you know there have been times. Like I remember, I finished uh, when I was doing this the series. Um, uh, I finished the first book, and I, I went on to the second a little while later. But when I fin- finished the second, I, I didn't actually pause. I just went straight to the third because yeah. I was like, I have to finish the Story. I remember thinking, you know, I got to get this out. So I think I feel like that urgency was kind of there for me as well at that does, stage. Does that mean mm-hmm. that someone who's reading your second novel
0: won't find it complete because there's no ending? Oh
2: no, Ooh. no, it, uh, it's got
0: a good ending. To, <laughs> to
2: that. I'm not going to give anything away. Anyway. That's a long way away from yeah. publication. Yeah, there we Just go. Just saying. So no, right. but it's 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 an interesting thing. So I, I do relate to that feeling of urgency, and I think. I think it depends. If you go on somewhere like, um, I, I always think about, say, Reddit's writing forum. is a mm-hmm. writing for, forum on Reddit where a lot of people are on there. And it's always filled with people talking about first drafts and also talking about, mm-hmm. I think, completion when they finish the first draft. And mm-hmm. they feel like, yeah, I finally finished it. And... Uh, and it's at different stages in the journey because the first time you finish a first draft is very different from, you mm-hmm. know, the third or fourth time mm. you finish a first draft. You know, that mm-hmm. you grow so much through that process, I feel.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point, I think, because, uh, you know, by the same, when you talk about first drafting and then in, then editing and then, then there's a the question of when do you know that it's finished? Mm-hmm. And so I think in terms of urgency, it's like I've talked about it in terms of being like an exorcism in a way, like oh. <laughs> in the sense that... um when it lives outside of you, mm. or, or when when I'm mucking about with it, if I edit something mm. and then I don't know if I've actually um, made it better or worse, then mm. I say this is leave it alone. It's not right, yeah. you know.
2: Actually, I, I again, if I can relate to that, I remember a certain point in my editing because the first time that I did, I went back and and really got in hardcore to editing a full length novel. I remember I was sitting there and I was just. It was like a word or something. And I got into the point where I was just word blind. I think that's the best way to put yeah. it, just word yeah, yeah. blind. I was looking at it and I could not figure out how to make the sentence work. I was like, I got to stop. Mm-hmm. I got to yeah. walk away mm-hmm. from this thing. And I think I walked away for a couple of weeks. I came back and it just it was no problem. But,
1: yeah.
3: Do you dream... Can my ask
1: questions? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely yeah. We love <laughs> questions. Yeah, go on. Do
3: you ever, if you're working on something, especially mm. in that urgency stage, if it's mm. intense or, the thing, or if you're drafting and you go back and the work on it is intense, mm. do you ever either dream the work – this is part of my theory stuff mm. that fascinates me – or do you um, – do you dream a memory or something that you think? Why would I be dreaming about that? And then realise that it has a relationship to something that you're trying to solve. Oh. This is the work of the unconscious. It, it,
2: yeah, no. Right, yeah. So um, I, sorry for butting you. No, <laughs> no, that's great. You, no. There's no apologies needed. Thank you for asking. Um, I can, since you're, you're teasing that thought out. Yeah, I definitely. I remember. The, I can remember one particular dream, which, which was during. Um, during quite an intense phase, which it would hmm. have been related to it. Um, I definitely think it's entering the subconscious when you're yeah. in a really intense hmm. state of, of of teasing something out, getting it out on the page, um, and especially during that second and third when I just ran two novels back to back. Yeah. Hmm. I, I don't know if I can be too specific about
0: that, but hmm. I'm interested in that thought. Hmm. Yeah, I think definitely. Hmm. I, I think not completely uh, hmm. to that thought, but in a similar way, I think I was imagining a situation that was, in, like, a thematically related to the mm-hmm. story that I mm-hmm. was writing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it wasn't the same story in my mind. It wasn't mm. the same characters, nothing like that. But I just, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, imagine the whole, like, idea of a dress falling from a, you know, 13-story window. Mm. And, like, that image, based on what I was thinking, mm. like, that was a really strong image. So mm. I think that's the closest thing I can... Mm. Think of that relates, but um, mm. yeah, interesting.
2: I mean, mm. I can also think that there's one particular in the work that I'm doing at the moment, which I was in a long period of incubation in terms of thinking. I did have a dream which uh, related very strongly to the world that I was writing about, yeah. And so that is that particular yeah. thought yeah. is going to be incorporated somehow
0: into the novel, mm.
2: in the end. yeah. So it's yeah,
3: yeah. fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah.
2: it's it's definitely mm. a rabbit hole.
0: Mm. Um, without trying to do too much, Allison <laughs> <and>, uh, <laughs> Wonderland. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Let's get, not do that. Yeah, um, but actually. Um, so here's here's another thing, and I know we're hijacking the introduction section quite uh, long, but there's something about first drafts. So um, and forgive us, it's the first podcast, so you know, forgive us if we go on for three hours. We won't, Julie. It's fine. <laughs> um, we uh, th- there was a thing that um, Ian I uh, actually read your recent blog post, yeah. which was on voice. remind me, yeah, on voice, voice, finding right. your voice. You're talking about writing. Mm. Irrelevant of what you were talking about, I'm sure right. it was interesting. But the thing is, when I was reading that, I w- I was thinking I'm I'm a social media luddite. Um, and
3: me too. T- okay. Yeah, great.
0: Uh, Twitter is one of those things where I only found really useful when we were doing the podcast. A lot of guests we were able to connect through um the, the through Twitter. I was about to say the Twitter. Oh dear. Wow. Oh dear. The Twitter. The Twitter. Um. It's fine. But. It, it, when I'm thinking of a lot of writers who are on social media, mm. enjoy speaking of the process, enjoy speaking of their process mm. on how their uh, the process of, or the, I guess um, the way ideas come into their mind or how it is fermented over time or anything, mm. you know, they, they speak about mm. anything and mm. they speak about with such f- like um, openness and freedom mm-hmm. that mm. I envy because when I, I was actually going to write a blog post on why I find social media really difficult Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of my writing, mm-hmm. but then I just got lazy and I didn't write the blog post. But So this is me just telling it to you. Um, my concern with my writing is that I think of the idea in my mind, whatever I'm writing, as very, very fragile.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: giving it any oxygen before it's actually formed mm-hmm. might break the idea in my mind. Mm-hmm. Is that me thinking of it in too much of a romantic Term of writing, or what do you think's going on there?
3: I don't think so. I mean, I I, I love hearing writers talk about yeah. the process too. But when you when you when you explain um, that, I always think I'm always um just want to bow down in homage when writers talk with real clarity yeah, about their process. So mm, when I ask about the the unconscious stuff, which is what I write in my yeah. theoretical work, yeah. um, I, I'm always trying to unpack this. How does how does it happen? how? how did, because I always write. A big mess, and then to to end up with a short story or Mm. this a fractured narrative, a longer work, whatever it is, I have to write myself out of the mess, and that means unpacking the doing. So I don't have that clarity about process either, and I know I I feel that it's like really, you know, intrinsically linked to. associative processes in your yeah. unconscious without mm. without making it sound like a yeah, that's good a, no absolutely a cult or a religion really <laughs> <laughs> <No, laughs> no, no. I think this <laughs> yeah I
2: think writers think a different way I found when I when I started talking to writers I so I get uh, and I I have mentioned on the podcast before I I find writing the thing that frustrates me is the ethereal muse mm. sitting on your shoulder thing where people assume it's this mythical uh, mm. state of being mm-hmm. Whereas I think that there's there's hard work to it mm-hmm. which really brings it to life yeah. mm-hmm. but there is an element of Of, like, I mean, for heaven's sake, we're we're making up stories here. You know, we're we're, we're doing uh, things that are not, we're calling them into being. It's a creative work. So there is a mystical element to Uh that. You know, that sounds biblical in what I'm saying. Uh, So there there is that mystical side to it. But at the same time, there's a a good bit of hard work. I mean, the opposite Uh to Joel's thing, I have to give things oxygen. So I have my book with me, which I'm now waving and no one can see. (laughs) Anyway, I have this book with me with all my notes in it because if I don't give it oxygen, if I don't give it
0: time on the page, uh, I will lose it. So I have to do that. So let's let's unpack your brain for a moment because I'm curious. Right. I'm putting you on the spot here. That's all right. That blog post. Yeah. Talk me through the process of you actually wanting to write that. So what was the first thing? Oh. Did you think I want people to understand what I'm going through? Do I want to understand what I'm going yeah. through? What was the reason?
2: So, do um, so I wrote a, a blog post about finding a voice, and I talked about how um, C.S. Lewis it's and Gordon Corman uh, were two people, and Gordon Corman wrote these, um, it's not that well-known, uh, but he wrote these uh, comedic uh, middle-grade novels, which would just I loved them when I was a kid. And so I talked about how the process of finding a voice. I woke up. At, I never do this, all right? So I talk about things not being mystical. I woke up at 5.30 <laughs> in the morning, Here we go. and I was unable to get that out of my head so I got up and I wrote the blog post it never happens to me really Mm -hmm. right so yeah I I wanted people to to think but I had an epiphany about my lack of voice when I started writing because I thought about how clear Lewis's voice had been in in Narnia and how clear Corman's comedic voice had been in his dialogue and those two things were so much channeled through me when I started writing and then Joel mentioned to me in response to the post when we were texting said you know, maybe the first hundred thousand words you'd read at someone, the first hundred thousand words you write are written by someone else. I think there's, there's something to that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So I kind of wanted to discuss that, I think.
0: Yeah. So, again, mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nitpick here. And Julia, feel free to, to, yeah. to interrogate him as much yeah. as I am. Um, <laughs> when you said you wanted people to experience that, what did you mean? How do you mean? Why did you post it publicly? Why didn't oh. you write it in a journal mm-hmm. and keep it to yourself?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, because I think that we're part of a dialogue, right? I mean, okay. the writing community yeah. is part of a dialogue. And when I was starting out and I self-published and I was online and I wasn't connected to the outside world, anything that I could take from people to read and to grow mm-hmm. and to learn, I want to share that journey of finding my voice with someone in the hopes that when somebody reads that, and I'm not saying I'm that far along in my writing journey. No, I think yeah, yeah. We're, all, we're always learning and, and sure. going, but I'm, I'm not where I was four years ago. You know, I'm not uh, sitting there blogging by myself, not knowing that I was going to write fiction. So, you know, I, I hope that there's someone out there who'll find that and and have a think about the voice that they that they would be using when they start writing, and and you know, about how to help them develop, I suppose. Yeah. So I've,
3: I have a question. Yeah, go on, go, please. <laughs> so, in terms of voice, this fascinates me too. So, yeah. in terms of if you talk about finding your voice, yeah. Do you um do you think that the voice that you identify as your voice mm. is is the same, like, how does that, what relationship does that bear to various readers and what they might make of your voice? Because I don't know, I don't know how you feel about that one. Yeah. And also, do you think um, that writers, you know, how we can look at some body of work by a particular writer and they can, and, I mean, people would we, we change and obviously grow and mm, whatever yeah. else, but um, yeah, can that, I mean, yeah, I'd maybe leave it there, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, um, I, I know if you read my first book, compared to like my first novella compared to what I'm putting out now I can see that and it actually came from I'd submitted a novel and it came back and and the feedback I got was around the strength of voice and that it wasn't as strong as they would like Mm. and I didn't click on exactly what that was for a long time Mm. and uh I I think that what they were seeing there was that was the still unformed voice the the really strong influence of of Lewis and Corman coming through Mm -hmm. so you know, it grows. And I would, I would hope that when people found my work, they would catch the notes. It's like a, now I'm going to sound really cheesy, but it's like a symphony, isn't it? It's like a whole, it's like a whole work of orchestral work, and you would hope that someone hears the notes in there from the different influences mm. in your life. I would hope that they heard the plot twists of um, George R. R. Martin when I try to reveal things. I would hope that they heard the whimsy of of, the, of Narnia, and I would hope that they got the humor of Corman's jokes. And so, you know, all those things I would hope would come through with something that was uniquely me as well. I guess mm. if that answers your question. Mm. Do, you, do you find that that happens in your work as well when you, when you write? Would you say that um, there's a...
3: I just think that the clarity that, that you, when you talk about influences and mm. various elements of your work that people might identify with, I mean, I th- just think you speak with a clarity about that that, that I don't necessarily, like, mm, mm. have about my process or yeah. my same
2: absolutely yeah so that actually also comes back to why I think personally for me and I know this podcast isn't about me so I I will keep moving but (laughs) I do want to say that for me that's what makes me passionate about the writing community because that question of that came from um from my friend Cass uh who's um who who we we connected through through Writers Victoria and online Mm. and Cass said to me if you would wanted to be one author who would you want to be and so I had to really think about that. And, I mean, I, I would ask you guys that. I don't expect you to have an answer on the spot, but it's something and to any oh, listeners as well. Oh, I have an well. answer on the spot. Oh, you well, do? Yeah, go for it. Who, well, who would you want to be, do you think? Me. Me, okay. I well, mean, not, not that's because, yeah, because
3: yeah. I'm unknown, so not because of any... I'm am an mm. emerging writer who and mm. and, and yep. you know so I'm not saying I want to be me because gee look at his yeah, yeah, this yeah. amazing work I'm saying how could you possibly be any other writer but yeah I, I think, <laughs> I think
2: yeah, yeah, yeah no yeah. I totally hear you I think for me it was kind of like who would you want to say, if someone said maybe it's a way of thinking about it, if someone said this person like took the influences of that person and then just grew them exponentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would say for me, that was, that was where Lewis played such a big role Mm because it was some of the first stories that really gripped me Mm -hmm. and held me to my seat when I was a child. Yeah. -hmm. And it just tucked away in my subconscious. Yeah.
3: It works that, I mean, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Things yeah. that, works that blew your mind. Yeah, of course.
2: It, it is hard, I think, to, to find, finding your voice. And this is why it's called finding your voice. See, now I'm quoting directly from what I wrote. It's why it's called, <laughs> it's not called, yeah. You have to find your voice. You have to search for it. It's yeah. not something that you just, um no. it's it's not something that you just dial up and suddenly it's there. And that's why all of the things that I assumed when I started writing, all of the things that I mm. took for granted, I thought things would go a lot quicker than they would. But no, because you have to actually, you have to earn it in a way. Yeah. You have. Mm-hmm. It's through the hard work. It's through the time. Yeah. You can't replace that. You, sometimes people get lucky, so don't get me wrong. But I actually think in some ways that luck
0: can be more difficult in the long term than learning the hard lessons as you go. An
1: mm. interesting,
0: uh, interesting point to yours when you said, who would you want to be? Mm. I would like to be Robert E. Howard at the end of his life if he didn't kill himself. Oof. That would be me. <laughs> okay, right. That's a reveal for people who read Conan the Barbarian and didn't know that the author no, um, no idea. Uh, yeah, shot himself. Wow. Yeah. Gee, really that's, sad. That's, uh, that's very sad. Anyway, with that down, out, let's move Sorry. on to the media <laughs> section. <laughs> okay. Hey! Um, so let's talk about what you've been watching. Yeah, yeah. What,
2: watching... Well, watching has been interesting. So I've, um, I have I was away over the holidays a bit. So, But I did catch um, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Okay. So I managed to, to watch that. And it was interesting. Um, sometimes when you see a movie and they could have cut, cut an entire plot line out and it still would have been good, you think... I want that half hour of my life back, but it's okay. It was still a good movie. That's all I'll say Did about that. Did that
0: section have gambling in it by any chance?
2: Uh, oh, they could have cut that. Yeah, that's <laughs> the that section, yeah. They had a whole character Ooh. arc where I was like, I didn't need to see that. Yeah. And, you know, that was frustrating for me. Um, I enjoyed it for what it was, but I'm not in a hurry to go back and see it. Absolutely. It's difficult when you launch a franchise without the screenplays already written. That frustrates me because... I feel that kind yeah. of cre- creativity under pressure. You're never going to come up with the same thing. Last year in movies, just putting this out there, the only movie that was a uh, blockbuster movie released that wasn't in Hollywood, which wasn't uh, part of a franchise, was Dunkirk by Christopher Nolan. And that's a war movie as well. So, in some ways, it kind of follows on in a certain fl- wow. That's the only one. Really? Was Dunkirk. So, that says a lot about the state Wait, that isn't original. in a franchise. Yeah, there wasn't a, like a sequel or ha- already had doesn't, intellectual property Doesn't
0: that... um Valerian and the whatever the planets are, that movie, isn't that an I original? I don't know which one you mean, sorry. Oh, are oh, you saying not based on
2: based on like
0: something that comic. already exists,
2: yeah, oh, based oh, okay. on a comic, Some form of comic, yeah. Because uh, some form of pre-awareness of something. So Interesting. That says a lot about the state of storytelling, I think, because we need original. I, I have a great affection for screenwriting, mm-hmm. and we need Original screenplays coming through. We really do, and right now it's all about how you can base yourself off pre awareness, and that's. I find that a frustrating
0: thing. It's a great selling thing, though, Ian.
1: Yeah.
2: However, if you are a Hollywood producer and you're listening (laughs) and you (laughs) came to option something, I love uh, you guys. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to base a movie on
0: the Morning Bell podcast. (laughs) That's it. (laughs)
2: There we go. <laughs> it seems like a really interesting film yeah. right there. And the only <laughs> other thing in terms of <laughs> uh, watching uh, Fargo. Um, so I put Joel into Fargo. Yes, actually. we'll um, talk about this. Did you, did you ever see the movie Fargo back in the 90s? was a long time no back ideas. it was. Oh, it's all right. It's, um, it's a Coen Brothers movie. It's uh, very gangstery. So I, I did watch Fargo season two. Just started on season three. And um, yeah, loving it. Really great let's, season.
0: Let's talk about Fargo for a hot minute because go I just it. want to chat about How little I... I, Expectation is a big thing. And when you go into a a series or anything with pre-existing conceptions, Mm. what this is going to be like, you're usually quite disappointed because it doesn't live up to whatever you've imagined. Hashtag Stranger Things 2. Oh. It's fine. But so I... I loved Fargo because I think the Coen brothers, as scriptwriters, as screenwriters, are amazing. I think they're fantastic. They have a certain offbeat humor Mm. that I think is just not too offbeat for Ian to like it, for instance. But at the same time, me with my, you know, weirdness, I like that humor. So they're definitely more of the mainstream offbeat. Um, And I heard about the show for a very long time. And I was always reticent because I was like, ah, is this this whole, Mm. you know, banking off a name. Yeah, Pre-Awareness. Exactly. And I thought, "Ah, I'm not going to see this. But then I heard, along with Ian, glowing recommendation of the series. I thought, Mm. I might give it a shot. And then the Coen brothers were actually involved, Mm. which was another big plus. It meant that it was um, some kind of uh, love for the story. It's really good. That's pretty much it. Um, It's exactly what you'd expect. Tonally, the film uh, occupies the same space as the series. Um, and the series does a fantastic job of um, Mm. making you care about what happens, and this will tie in a little bit to what we'll eventually end up talking about on the topic, but end up Mm. caring about characters that you would... Yep. preferably not I yeah. uh, care about and that's the power of it especially the second season so yeah
2: we, I won't get into it maybe we'll, we'll loop around to that a little Let, bit yeah. you know, when we talk about the topic but yeah I I the second season especially and I think that's you've actually hit the nail on the head I've been trying to figure out why I loved the second season even more yeah. than I love the first the first is very good and I'm, I'm loving the fact we are in, it feels like we're in a bit of a golden age of um, long form storytelling in TV shows where it's okay for shows to take a season to tell a story yeah. um, which is I think important and it kind of is a down like if you're going to make a 3 hour TV show you may as uh, sorry movie you may as well in some ways do a 10 hour season and just
0: really take your time to yeah, do it well. unless you're a, a hobbit and then yeah, you just I mean, don't make it at all <laughs> um
1: but you yeah. made money uh, so
0: yeah and and going off that as well there was just one thing that stood out to me in that show that I do want to draw attention to and that is the use of a mythic character character trope yep. uh which I mentioned to Ian about which is the trickster now that's a big thing in uh, classic mythology yep. you have this trickster character and they did it so well in the um, Fargo season one. It's yeah. just this I character, hadn't of that. Yeah. yeah this this character that occupies this same um, mm. resemblance to you know what we'd expect of a Loki or something like that. It 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 has, and I'm not talking about Marvel, uh, and it has mm. that um, uh, same sort of resonance in yep. in the show, and it works superbly. It's this character that comes and ruins people's lives, um, and it's mostly their fault. Yeah. Um it's great it yeah, highly recommended. Yeah. Um Julia have you seen watched theater movies books mm-hmm. that you'd like Yeah. To um speak
3: as to? um as I said as a disclaimer I'm mm. not much of a movie watcher. That's, That's right. I did watch um The Light Between the Oceans recently because yes. I'd read the book and yeah. my daughter said I'll put this on you watch this. Yeah. Um and I and I loved that book because I, I Yeah I loved the book so I was interested in in seeing how seeing the Mm. Seeing how that played out, I love live theatre. I don't go lots, but mm. I saw um, Tim Winton's Shrine at Forty Five downstairs right. in Flinders oh. Lane. How yep. was that? It was excellent. Yep. Um, it was excellent. Mm. Um, you know, covering the theme of trauma and how it how it fractures sure. and and the effects yep. on people. I, I was fascinated by that. I thought the mother character was. Um, the, disclaimer again the focus was really on the father's grief in his story and the mother and the mother and the father weren't in the same geographical place mm, so right. that that was the focus but i still when i saw her i wanted to, i wanted more of her backstory sure. so that, that mm. was the case and then on um, at the end of this week i'll see good muslim boys on at the Malthouse house and that's mm. um, Asam Asamis, yeah. um, and I don't know yeah. if you saw the film. I haven't seen the film version, but I saw him mm. speak at Ubud Writers and Readers Festival yep. Yep. Um, and went to Asia Pacific Writers and Translators Conference. He was there as well. And, yeah. um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing mm. the, the screen, this um, the, the sorry, the stage um, yeah. version of that. Well, that'll be yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Fantastic. Absolutely. So I'm a bit of a drama nut, and um, no. as I said, in terms of films, if my kids are watching them mm. and I come along, um, then I'll complain <laughs> about something. And they say to me, um, you've ruined your mind with books. And yep. perhaps I have. <laughs> there you go.
0: And and yeah. some shows have ruined books, which which yes. I will do, yes. segue into really neatly, yeah. hopefully, here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I watched this show. It's just came out. Uh, one of the reasons is uh, uh, we're doing a speculative fiction festival, which mm-hmm. we'll probably t- plug at the end of this episode. Yep. But... That had me thinking in terms of um, Specfic, Mm -hmm. and there was a cyberpunk, well, there you go, big shoe-in, that just released on uh, Netflix called uh, Altered Carbon, which is based off the novel. Now, I haven't read the novel, um, but it's one of those huge cyberpunk uh, works, um, and it definitely carries over, as most cyberpunk does, um, a noir mystery that is couched in the setting of cyberpunk. Um, The show's not great. It's Mm. And my main problem with it is that that tone that I love so much in Fargo, for instance, yep. uh, Altered Carbon—it's—it's it's, it, the tone is all over the place. It, you know, it doesn't really know what it wants to be. Right. Um, and again, speaking to the topic that we'll probably end up chatting about, the main character um, is designed to make us uh, care about him, hmm. but in the next instance, immediately. Refuses to show any character development, right? And then we're pulled out of it. So we know that he's artificially created backstory is there to hook us in. Mm. And there was a fundamental difference in the in the uh, um, th- the show is that in the book the main character is a mercenary, mm. so he has no allegiances. You know, so it's this amoral character yep. who ends up being embroiled in the situation that he needs to get up. So it's like a man against the world kind of an idea instead of. Mm. A hero, but in the show, he's a freedom fighter in mm-hmm. his right. backstory, yeah. and that is such a tonal dissonance to who mm. that character is mm. that you're never comfortable with his backstory. You feel like they're two different people. Mm. Pardon the the podcast; they're mm. actually yep. two different people. Yep. Um, and it yeah, it just doesn't work. You can see that they were being mm-hmm. like, oh. He was a freedom fighter in the past and now he's in a future which they've lost the war, so he's got this mm. weird guilt and you know, he always feels like he's fi- fighting now for the bad guys and it just mm. it's such a flimsy um, piece. But you know, there's some good performances in there which carry it, but yeah, oof, it's not a not a deal. Not 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 very good Cyberpunk. Go watch the original Blade Runner. There that's, you go. That's my suggestion too. <laughs> um, but uh yeah, I think I think that's it from our media section. Yep. All good? Um let's move on to the topic. Now we've teased that through a couple um mm. uh media um chats, uh, not um intentional. Um but it, it does it does play into that that we're thinking about that a lot more these days. Um and just like you, Julia, I'm really interested in the inside baseball of, of writing and I like to see the gears tick. Mm. Um and one of the things that I've noticed, and say for instance, this example in Altered Carbon. We have a desire from the showrunners to make a character likable. We want us to empathize with his condition, his problem, mm. um, in order to make something that we all care about—freedom. Um, but that's that goes into a global question: Is that empathetic characters? Why? Why do we? Why do writers not have a need to? But why do we want to create empathy um, between our readers and our characters? Or is that even a? Is that even a question? Is it something that we do? Um just naturally, or is it something that develops in the writing and i will be curious to hear your examples of the fiction that you've experienced and read and enjoyed mm. um you know there's there's a few big ones out there um on the other side of the spectrum as well mm. characters that are utterly unlikable, but we mm. still
3: yeah um, that's fascinating to us yeah think. so i I read um bruce Pascoe's um book ocean yep. I don't know, and, and it, it's mm-hmm. it's extraordinary and mm, yeah. um you know, some many aspects of the text are just uh, just so um, gut wrenching. Mm. You know, um, treatment of Indigenous um, people, particularly women. Um, and Bruce Pascoe, I hope I I, hope I'm, I quote him correctly, but he talked about this text and said that he he wrote a story um, imagining. Um, um, which is he wrote a work of fiction, rather only to find out really that what he'd written was very mm. very close to his mother's story mm. and um so the 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 the, tr- the treatment of of white um settlers to indigenous women in that in that text is just it's 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 horrendous but mm. when i after I finished the text and I ta- wrote to Bruce about it, I said it's this this book is like an empathy constellation because yeah. mm. and I think that 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 that's a sign of an an extraordinary writer when you can engage with a character who does despicable things, yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, and still feel still feel empathy. Mm. And Pascoe definitely pulls that off in Ocean, and mm. I think um, yeah, I, you know, I think that's that's a, that that's an extraordinary book, and I I can't believe it's not it's not on every kind of mm. secondary yeah. school list because it, yeah, anyway. Mm. Yeah, that's an example of that. I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think you're right. It is a rare gift to be able to pull, uh, to pull people into um, to empathy, especially. It's now. I don't know. Is it is it harder to feel empathy for characters that do? I think. Sorry, I'm I'm finding my thought as I say it. Yeah. Um. For me, I think the thing that we connect with, um, in in characters who do things that aren't great is that, uh, as people we make poor choices. And yeah. so for me, when I see someone making a poor choice, I can relate to making a poor choice. Now, the, the magnitude of that poor choice may be uh, you know, ginormous yeah. and be something that I personally would like to think that I could never consider. But you, sometimes I wonder if it's hard for people who are on a journey of empathy yeah. to actually relate. There, there, maybe there's a level of empathy that you kind of gain as you read wider and read more yeah. mature works. Because, you know, as a kid, I, I probably, you know, you read something like Tintin, for example, it's not, that's not, uh, you know, literary text necessarily but you're reading something with an archetypal bad guy you know yeah yeah <laughs> all that kind of thing and that's that's your level of kind of evil but when you actually get to the stage when you realize i as a person am just as capable of doing the horrible things that this character yeah. is doing mm-hmm. then you can begin to empathize with why they're doing them mm-hmm. yeah there's something that can, that can happen there so yeah, is it kind yeah, of a really
3: level thing mm-hmm. helen garner talks mm-hmm. a lot about this you know how she, um she wrote the I mean, she's written a, written mm. a, lot, a lot of things. But yeah. When she 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 wrote about the Farquharson murders and the and the um, the dad who drove his um, car off the yep, right. off the bridge right and yep, killed his yep, three yep. children, mm. and um and she kept coming she, in in an interview on book club or something like that, and then and then in a written in in that text, um and in her shorts the recent short story collection um, what's it called I'll look this um mm. each, each way that's not right everywhere I look everywhere. yeah um and she talks about you know, she said people in the trial and around that case kept saying, "But he loved those children. He loved those children." Mm. And
1: mm. you
3: know, I can—it's haunting. I can hear her voice when I repeat that because—and and she she asked the question, which I think is crucial to this idea of empathy mm. um, and the idea that how does it, you know, um, why does it love rule out despicable behaviour? Actually, it doesn't. Sometimes people in in state in in. Uh, heartache and love um so yeah when you say and what brought me to that is when you um, Mm. talk about um imagining um that you that we could and imagining that we that we could and i think if the writer successfully puts you in a place then a place or a situation or a context then we can then you do empathize with the reasons why mm. and that's what i mean about the ocean i'm not saying that you mm. that there's any that there's anything to condone and but i'm saying that you empathize course, with, yeah. with the complexity of the situation i suppose yeah, yeah. Mm.
0: i think one of those and like you mentioned in the situation that a character is placed in that situation uh, some writers especially depending on you know what genre they're writing in that also gives a lot of context to how we empathize with a character for instance mm. in in a lot of um, classic fantasy works, for instance, a, a, a character that you c- wouldn't naturally be uh, attracted to mm. um, is an attractive prospect in a book to, to barrack for because mm-hmm. of the situation that he's placed in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, this is obviously a genre example, but I think it's, a, it's the same uh, thread in a lot of fiction. There's mm-hmm. a character um, written by Carl Edward Wagner, and he wrote this series, which is now um, awfully... Um, Obscure. But I'll use this anyway, because that's just how it goes here. Um, but he wrote this character, and the character was called Cain. Mm. Now, he is based off the... It, it's, a, a, um, it's a fantasy-upped version of Cain in the biblical story. Um, so this character is the protagonist of the, of the series. And in one of the situations, um, he's not a good person, He's a selfish character. All his motives, um, they're all self-centered. It's all... Um, and he's always has this bitterness against characters. But the reason what makes him so attractive as the protagonist of the story is because everybody else in the story is either a lot worse or that the situation he's placed up against mm. is the hill is so steep that you can't help but empathize with his situation. Mm. Right. So in one sense... He allows you to forget who this character is mm. by creating the obstacle to be the bigger, the bigger threat in the story. Because it could easily have been written that he's the antagonist of the story and the side character, whoever it is, mm. is the protagonist. And it's one of those threads that is done varying degrees of success by different authors. And it's always astonished me when you can forget. the character is really you know who he is you know what his motivations are Mm. Mm. but you realize at the end of the story when you close the book you're like whoa you know that i didn't expect that journey Mm. i
2: I think for me and again i'll I'll use a genre example george r r marson's um game of thrones i I will have talked about this on the 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 show before but Mm. um he creates empathy in you for truly terrible characters because he introduces new perspectives i mean it can only really be done in a book, the epic scale of you know, what Martin's written. Yeah. Um, and there are going to be very few of those in history, which are widely read, yeah. probably maybe even one. Yeah. <laughs> and there he is. But he, he brings you in on characters. And I remember the first time we went to the perspective of Cersei, who's you know a, an out-and-out villain for so long of it, but you began to understand that what she was simply trying to do was to do whatever she could to sustain her family. Her children were what motivated her, and suddenly you had a completely different understanding of why she was doing what you're doing. Now you wouldn't agree with what she was doing; she was doing truly terrible things. But I think it, the success in that, and there was success with her, success with her and with her brother Jamie, was to bring these two characters who have, you've really disliked the entire time, and suddenly you find yourself feeling empathy for them, and that that's genius because you've you've. It it flips the script on you and says, well, you know, rather than just the actions, you see the motives. And Mm. that's got to be, surely, a key to to any amount of empathy, is understanding motives that we can kind of comprehend, Mm. Mm. you know?
0: And, you know, one of the questions, Julia, that I'm interested in hearing you speak on is that that idea of complexity and of, you know, people use it glibly, but grey in in that Mm. kind of moral sense Mm. is... An attractive prospect in literature mm. today. More and more, mm. it's being written. You know, we can think mm. of a good few examples um, in classic literature, but um, a lot of the time we fall back in terms of the past on classic literature, like Dostoevsky's *Crime and Punishment*. Like uh, characters have very clear moral uh, morals, and we realize whether the character is right or wrong at the mm. end, and it's a very distinctive decision. Mm. Um, why do you, do you think that is a mirroring of today's, uh, you know, broader you know, how how we see ourselves in the world, mm-hmm. or do you think something else is going on there
3: um i don't know that i that i know i don't know that i want um, that i have an answer to that in the yeah, broader context sure. of where how it reflects but when you talk about gray um, yeah. i mm. like gray 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 is where <laughs> gray grey works for me where grey gray is where, good, the, yeah. grey is where the, you know char- the fascination of character yeah. for me mm. i think is is, is really interesting, and what I mean there is that when, um, in terms of you know moral ambiguity mm. or tough, um, qu- tough, tough themes in fiction, mm. um, I'll give an example at mm. this um, uh, conference I was at recently. The one I talked to sure, Asia Pacific. Yeah. One of the writers there read a story, and 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 it, and it was about rape actually, mm. uh, mm-hmm. um, and um, and there was there was some uproar um, because. And I think what I'm trying to get at here is, in terms of, he was talking about grey. Grey is yeah. there grey, and it was it was highly highly um, controversial at the time mm-hmm. in his reading, and in, and and it was unpacked as part of the um, conference discussion. And I think when if we write grace, if we write grey, and if we then sometimes, um, and I suppose this does answer your question yeah. in a roundabout way, that sometimes people think. That you hold particular views because you yeah. write grey. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. you that that they identify the views of characters or a situation with a way of thinking. Yep. That may or yep. may not have anything to do with how how the what yeah. the author does. But yeah, I think I think grey is crucial because I I'm not a big believer in um like if I'm, this might be going too far I don't That's know fine. but mm. there's a there's a, a an um, essay I suppose of Nietzsche's and it's called. On truth and lying in an extra yeah. moral sense, it's gold. Yeah. It's yeah. it's so mm. it's like, a, you know, a, a meta narrative for what I think story yeah. should be. Whereas, where you know, if you know where you're going to go and you know what the truth of the tale is, then then you're already there. Just going, his his thing is if you hide something behind a rock, only to go and find it in that place, then just you know go and find it. But where's the seeking and finding, and what is tr- truth? And so,
1: mm. so
3: for me, for me, the truth is always grey. I suppose is yeah. I'm, is is my long answer. Mm. If
1: yeah, that yeah, sense.
0: yeah. <laughs> You you mentioned, in that sense, controversy and people's mm. perception of that gray. And mm. I'm curious, you know, do you think there is a moral obligation on a writer? Because I think that conversation is going to get more and more um, dependent on, you know, how people see an author and their relation to their work mm. as the author and their work, a separate entity, or whether it is a thing that exists mm. together. Um, so there's a sense that there has to be, you know, um, in one sense, a, a, a code where you, you recognize that something's bad. Do you think that is a, a necessity that an author has to has, has to look at in their writing, where they're able to look at their themes and realize, oh, you know, this is something that'll touch on a lot of areas that will affect people. Um,
3: it's a really, it's such a tricky question, yeah. and it, and mm. it does, you know, in, t- it's a, in terms of that, um, ca- what what voices can we write relates to that, yeah. you know, can I if I'm from a particular background or race or culture, yeah. mm. you know, it, yeah. so those, I think those questions are really are th- are things that 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 writer that I would think about mm. as a writer. I'm not saying writers should. I'm not really yeah. um, a, a, one to make rules for how other people mm. um, should operate as writers, yeah. but in terms of um, in terms of, you know, I've heard so many debates about, for example, mm. um, Indigenous stories and who has the right to write mm. that, mm. for example. Um, so I think those questions are important. In terms of moral obligations of the writer, um, I, I think that's really murky territory. Yeah. I think it's really mm. so murky. It, grey, we could just call it yeah. grey and go <laughs> back to grey because I think... Um, if you if you're writing if you're gonna if if you write into to, I like to part there's some I can't don't know who I'm plagiarizing or misquoting that talks mm. about when you write a, a story or or a novel that whatever you whatever the spark was that began whatever um, compelled you to write that story that you should pass that sense of worry or um, haunting or whatever it was onto your reader that it shouldn't mm. be solved yeah. and I love this idea because I don't like Tied up endings, I suppose. Yeah. Back to um, hmm. that complexity. So, in that sense, I don't think that a writer has, uh, uh, that a writer should have a, a, a be waving a, a, I don't write with a moral banner, is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah.
2: It, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, I seem to remember, wasn't it? It was Philip Pullman, Pullman. who most recently said that. I mean, in, in Pullman's work, uh, you know, in, um uh, Lyra, oh my goodness, my blank, uh, Golden Compass, Northern Lights. I mean, yes, it's, fairly, me. it's pretty obvious where he's getting at. He's not a big fan of organized, uh, you know, the church and yep, organized religion. Yeah, it's not religion, really, yeah. you know, and it kind of, he's he's almost the antithesis of, of Lewis, you know, yeah, in that he, sense.
0: And he mentioned that, you yeah. know, um, that, Fantasy authors in particular, I believe speculative. I can't remember what the yeah. term it is there, so I'll have to, you know. That's fine. You know, forgive me, Philip Pullman, for listening to this. Because um, sure He's going to tweet us. You know sure you, you are. Yeah. Thank you, Philip. Uh, <laughs> we respect you. And your golden compass mansion. Um, <laughs> that, that he mentioned that uh, um, writers have a kind of obligation to speak on morality. Yeah, right. In some sense.
2: Okay, so I, I would say that not... Uh, I don't want to contradict Philip Pullman. Good for him for sparking debate. That's good. Um, I would say that writers have... Uh, 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 no, no, it's not a responsibility. The, what writers can do very effectively is build empathy. And yes. if there's one thing the world yeah. needs right now, it's empathy. <laughs> I don't think the world needs a moral lecture because it's getting it from left and right. Yeah. And we're becoming so polarized in the, um, Western, you know, yeah. in the Western world um, that you know, if there's one thing we need... It's empathy to understand why on earth someone would vo- would vote for Donald Trump. Mm. I need to understand that, you know. Um, I share similar beliefs with many people who did, and I can't understand it. But that doesn't yeah. mean that I that I want to stand here and say everything you believe is wrong. I need to understand. The world needs empathy. So in that sense, empathy is is one of the most powerful things that we can. Uh, have with the written word because you as an author you speak directly to someone for centuries after the fact you can speak directly to someone you know yeah. when i when i pick up a book from you know emily bronte or whoever i'm I'm listening to that same voice casting empathy through the ages good grief anyway that just got all whoa whatever. whoa whoa <laughs> what just happened i don't know yeah yeah but that that is the power in in many ways of writing mm. right is to enable people to feel empathy now some of it also is just telling a great tale if you you know I love a really great tale. That's that's just me. But, you know, um, if you can spark that, that's an amazing privilege. Yeah.
3: On the subject of mm. Bronte and empathy, there's yeah. this like, amazing quote mm. that says, um, Bronte learned um, all that she knew about love and its necessities from watching a north wind grind the moor. And Mm. for me, that that kills me. That one. That's I know. That's Mm. like um, yeah, it's great for me. That's like I just go, you know, because (laughs) then what you're talking about, Mm. I think, is translatable experience and the fact that Bronte actually wrote about things that she didn't apparently um, Mm. have any life experience of. And then you're talking actually, yeah, about Mm. um, you know um, empathic engagement with the other, which Mm. I think fiction writers have to do if you're going to write. You, you you write things – so, hmm. and in, like an example of that, I wrote a story called Light Clay and it was about a, a mother who had um, a condition called olfactory hallucination, yeah. a form hmm. of um, postpartum psychosis where you smell things that are not real. Yeah. And it was written in third person but really th- through the close third person of the um, teenage son. Yeah. And then a student read it and said to me that he read it to his housemates and his housemates said um, – I can't believe a woman wrote that story. Mm. Um, now I think that that's like a simplistic example of this mm. sense in which sure, we we, yeah. we we write. If you if we're writing fiction, then then you, then. Mm. So when you talk about the voice going on, or you know, yeah. through the uh, so sometimes is I think that there's um, you have some distance between your voice because you're actually writing through the voice of other.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: Gee, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it is. It is an incredible. I think it's an incredible privilege to have anyone. Read your work, and just to be able to to be a part of, on some small level, to be a part of the great, you know, lexicon of human thought. We're kind of adding to it. We have come to an age now where gray is kind of more and more out there, and we're getting more gray as, as people talk about. As you know, I, I didn't expect the term fake news to become you know part of mainstream debate. I thought it would just be something that Donald Trump said, and then he wouldn't get elected, and that was the end of it. Ah. But suddenly, you know, it's it's right in the middle of the cultural lexicon, and that's going to have an effect. And I think that there's been part of Philip Pullman and others is there's this push kind of to where are the voices um, where are the voices to give us a sense of, of anchoring mm, in the middle yeah. of turmoil Yeah, and you know whatever's going to happen in the world as it fractures at the moment and I don't know what'll happen next but you do need to have some sense of um Something that, that speaks to humanity. How does that sound? Yeah. Like if there's one thing that, that I, I think we can all do, and we develop that as we go, is is a shared sense of humanity that we all have, you know? Yeah. Hmm.
0: I think uh I think you went to the sixties and came back there and I but, think uh, so. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a sad. Sorry, that was my way of completely contradicting No. <laughs> what you said was great. Thanks, but Joel. there's <laughs> there's something that it's interesting because when we look at how literature continues, we still read Crime and Punishment, even though we might not identify with a lot of the struggles the characters are going through. We understand the emotional um, hmm. problems that these characters are, are having, right? Yeah. And, you know, if you read uh, The Lady and the Dog by Chekhov and then you read it today, it's the same. Hmm. You feel the same things that Chekhov had intended you to feel. Those are the ones that stand the test of time, right? Um, but I think it's mainly due to that idea of, one, combining that the voice of a character with the emotional, either the trauma or whatever that's involved in that sense, that can be transferable through the ages, right? And that's not to say that Chekhov, like you said, experienced those things either, but he was able to approximate that emotion, and that rang true. I think you can approximate wrong, and I think that's where that argument comes in, and which mm-hmm. is why you get the pullback from a lot of people saying, "That's not your experience," that thus it is incorrect. Right. But I mm-hmm. think a lot of the time, uh, not a lot of the time, but it can be, it can be done, in that sense. And you know, that's a difficult conversation to have for sure because there are plenty of things that is hard to touch on these days. Um, mm-hmm. And my my question is, what's our limit of empathy as well? Mm. What are some stories that we just can't digest today? Mm. Do you think there is a limit, Julia?
3: I think there's per- everyone would have personal mm. limits. You know, I've mm. talked to people about this and they say, look, that might be a great book, but I don't want to read it because exactly. yeah. it has something to do with the subject matter. but. Mm. But if you talk about, I mean, when I would I just went sort of sideways when you were talking about that, but I was thinking about, you know, like the, you, you went back to crime and punishment, and you go further back to Greek tragedies and you look mm. at like the character of Medea, you know, Madea, she, yeah. she kills, she kills yeah. her children, yep. you know, as an act of vengeance. I loved her. Yeah. Mm. I love her.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. Um,
3: and, you know, mm. and, and I've, I've got children, you know, I've got lots of children and I, and, um, I mm. haven't killed them. Yeah. You, know, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, you know, maybe I wanted to sometimes, but I haven't killed anyone. Um But you know what I mean. So that's yeah, yeah, like yeah. classic example of this. Sure. Of this stuff, and I—I I, sorry, I—I so, I stepped mm. sideways from your question. Absolutely. No, no,
0: I mean mm. th- that's an example, right? Mm. Like Medea as a text today is celebrated as, mm. um, I suppose, mm. a feminist text in in many ways, and people see it that way. And we see this character, like you said, of Medea, who does something terrible. Now, I wonder if you were to pull that forward to a character that would do something in today's... And I'm, I'm not saying that killing your children isn't something that we, mm. we look badly on today. Yeah. But something that we can see that affects us personally, right? Mm. I think the personal connection to trauma, which is what a lot of people, you know, they draw away from some mm. books... Mm. Um, yeah. And I suppose what I'm saying is that can cause consternation with people, like hmm. Uh, hmm. sexual abuse or something uh-huh. like that, right? Uh-huh. Um, and that's something that when you write from a perspective of not ignorance, but a, hmm. a perspective of distance hmm. can yep. be off-putting to a lot of people. What, right. do, what do you think about that, um, Ian, Julia? Mm. Yeah. I it's mean, a it's a tough one, isn't it?
2: I, I've drawn away from reading certain things because it's a bit too raw yeah. for me at the time. There, yeah. There'd be certain things. Now, on the flip side of that, you know, my wife, she loves reading anything that's really like, you know, if it's like trauma and all that gut kind of wrenching. thing. gut Yeah, gut-wrenching. She's right in there. She loves it. And I find that's, I think that's why I'm so drawn personally to more speculative fiction is that I can still, you I have the t- distance of. Yeah, there's some distance yeah. there. And I think for me, that that's just, that's just my personal view of, sure. of reading and personally what I like. That doesn't mean I'm not going to read, though, yeah. works that connect because I, I personally love to, and I think that's a sign of the, the maturing author, you know, is, that is empathy. I, I, mm. Such a key thing. Um, but I think that people draw back sometimes when it's just too real. That's sure. when you can sometimes shrink back and say, you know what, I'm not quite ready for this. Even though it may be a great work, it may not be right for me right now.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about that, Julie?
3: I think it's fascinating what you say about mm. when people people might draw back because it's just a bit too real. So when I g- gave that example before about the the um, the author that read the story that was yep. about rape and mm. some of the uproar that you know the sort of yeah
1: yeah um,
3: the the reaction that was just you know, that was without thought and wasn't actually didn't actually go to the level of the text and there was it was really really complex. Um, mm. And in in my own work in terms of that example, so when the when the the novel work the novel you know yeah. it's a fractured narrative that mm. that that I've written and that's coming out next month mm. and um, when that was when that was originally written it was a lot longer and it was written as a creative part of the mm. of a of, of the PhD that I wrote mm. and I had violent a violent reaction from one of the examiners mm. yeah um violent i say. yeah, yeah it was violent um mm. and from and and opposite reactions from the from the other local examiner yeah. and the other international examiner mm. and when others unpacked what happened there yeah um when you talk about something being too real mm-hmm. or whatever um I, I think that that relates to if you if you're going to go if you're going to write themes that are um gray disturbing mm. complex
1: yep. then
3: then i think that that then you're going to have um, perhaps violently um, opposing reactions. Because yeah. for some people, when you talk about things being too real, hmm. I think then that is actually about the about the reader, and yeah. it's not necessarily about the text. Yeah. So yes, yeah, I agree.
2: Go. And you've got to have those stories. Like I, I think we've got to have we've got to have discussion and debate. Um, and for me, uh, I I think it's something about growing up. Like when I was a teenager, I would have said, ah, oh, no, that's that's crap. I don't like yeah, it. You yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Whereas now I might say, look, it's probably not for me at the moment. Um, I'm sure it's great for all these other people, but for me, I may find that a bit of a struggle.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of uh, text that I'm thinking of in terms of difficulty, like Once Were Warriors is one of those examples, Oof.
2: right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's really real. Yeah. I, the movie is real enough to... Yeah, I mean, you know, having um, having worked with um, with kids uh, growing up, you know, worked with kids as, as a teenager, we had kids who come along to kids camp who were, you know, from uh, gang associates, gang homes, um, mm. you know, and then to see that very real plight of a family on screen, I remember I was riveted to that though. Yeah, but I hadn't grown mm. up and because you know the domestic violence, the mm. the, um, the the emotional violence, the hopelessness of the characters, but it was absolutely gripping. Mm. Um, as a story, um, but that hadn't been my lived experience, and yeah. I don't, I had a friend who had grown up in a very abusive household, um, and it just she she wasn't going to engage with that. That's
3: fascinating too, because you know, like when you talk about this, and I say I don't mm. watch much telly and I don't, mm. but um, you know, that series Shameless. Yes, yes. So, right. You yep. know, one yep. of my kids said, "Watch this. I think mm. you'll, I think you'll like this." You know, um, and I suppose it's like some of the some of the themes and things that I'm attracted to in. in um, in works of fiction, yep. literary fiction, you know, it's dirty realism and yep. um, everyday battles for people. And I'm fascinated by behind closed doors, micro world yep. um, issues. Mm-hmm. But then, when you talk about your friend in that way, you know, some of if I if I'm if I'm nitpicky, then I also mm. think sometimes um, literature and film will um, uh, glorify or pretty mm. up. Particular mm. situations. If you're going to go to those places, then you I have think to
0: continue the thread. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. You can't pull out
2: when yeah. you need to, oh, yeah. yeah, and some sex for the TV show. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, just go the whole hog. How does that actually look in reality? Yeah, with, and I think yeah. you have
3: to be really careful about that in, 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 um and I know that so, sort of the the medium of television uh, yeah it was about is so s- different yeah, yeah, yeah. Was about this have, instant yeah. gratification and that people exactly. want this stuff and it's part of the game mm. and I think in in when you in in language work you have to be very restrained actually to, to, to make those things yeah. work. so I'm not yeah. saying you have to go there and you have to unpack mm. and reveal every grimy detail but I'm but mm. it but but I still think there's an there's an accuracy that I that I seek sometimes yeah. that you, that maybe literature is more satisfying generally for that.
0: Yeah. And it breaks the reality of hmm. that world, right? Hmm. And then hmm. that's something that I think happens a lot more in TV than it does yeah. um in say uh literature. And it's it's something that I was just going to ask that difference in the mediums, you know, that's something that is another it's exemplified because I think gray in some like mm. mediums like television, I think are done really, really sloppily, mm. uh, like ad nauseum to the, to the you know, where that attraction to gray becomes so ham fisted, mm. you know. And and you know, pardon all the fans for me to say this, but that's what I see in, say, for instance, the game, game of thrones, a TV show. Yeah, is this that's how we see gray. Yeah, that's not how it would like that's not how. It works. And that's not how characters process it. That, that's one of my big bugbears with that show is that mm. it has a sense of gray, but surface level, right? Mm. Mm. And that, I think, is one of the reasons why you have this surge of people saying like, yes, but there should be some, you know, uh, some concrete things that we can look at in a story and say, you know, yeah. this is where we draw the line in terms of empathizing with characters, mm. mainly because of how badly it's done. Hmm. Um, In some shows Um, So yeah Like I think that's a very interesting Distinction as well Have you noticed that In In media as well Yeah I mean There's been
2: a There's been a real move Towards Grey And the anti-hero You know I mean It's 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 done very well In Breaking Bad Sure Breaking Bad, in my mind, um, you know, it, it got a little bit extended at the end, but you know, done extremely well. Also done really well in Better Call Saul. So just generally done well by uh, the shows for uh, yeah. by the showrunners. So that's fantastic. But um, big plug for AMC. Yeah, big big, pl- big plug for AMC. Um, when when I str- I think I struggle the most um, when it, when it comes to Game of Thrones. Just not to labor the point, but you know, in the books, you definitely and they they kind of jumped the shark. They lost their momentum. There was sure. a particular yeah. scene. I mean, spoilers, sure, um, where, you know, Jamie and, and his sister obviously have an ongoing sexual relationship, uh, which is, you know, full on. But then, uh, you know, they had a scene where uh, had uh, Jamie raping his sister. And it was just, yeah. um, there was incredible and outrage on Twitter. People saying, mm-hmm. what is this? And there was a reason for that, because the books had, I mean, for a start, it's just it was so inconsistent with the books and with the empathy that you've been built for these characters. So all these people have read the books, Mm -hmm. built this amazing empathy. And suddenly this character does something that I don't know why, I still don't understand why they did that, why they felt that was necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, In the way that it was told. The way way that it was told, the fact that it happened, the whole Mm -hmm. thing was just way out there. Mm -hmm. But um, in in the book, at least you you saw how their relationship had broken down and it kind of made sense. And you, you felt a sense of, there was more time to build that empathy maybe. Yeah. I don't know if that's what it is exactly, um, but it, it, I think you're right. It can be done quite ham-fisted On, yeah. um, you know, and here he is. Oh look, he's such an anti-hero. Look at what he's doing. But actually,
0: the response they got from people was that is ridiculous. Yeah, mm. you didn't need to do that. Mm. I, f- I feel like television's answer sometimes is is the idea of oh look at this guy he looks after his family. Next scene, killing a baby. That's <laughs> great, right? Like that's <laughs> right. that's yeah. ma- mainly my problem, right? It's, so it's uh, a
2: bit. You're saying it's just a bit ridiculous. It's a you know? bit. It's mm. a bit bad.
0: Yeah.
3: Well, it's shocking shock value it's probably. shock value yeah. exactly that, that, like it, you yeah. said
2: yeah. instant gratification mm-hmm. right. exactly yeah instant gratification whereas you know you've got the I, I would much rather um yeah i'd much rather have that that empathy built up over time that kind of makes sense i i, I love nothing more i think as i've as i've gone on and grown as as a reader and as a consumer of, of media i think i love nothing more than unexpected empathy for characters i think mm. the most surprising place you'll find it um which i've said before is on the office the u.s office <laughs> Um, it's surprisingly deep. It, it's a it's a very good show, but yep. they do an amazing job. The first season, just write that one off. But from the second season on, you get moments of extreme empathy for characters who are, quite frankly, just jerks most of yeah. the time and in the middle of a comedy as well.
3: Mm-hmm. So yeah. do you prefer the US office to the UK? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. hard-hitting questions.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. a good question. Not I have not,
0: I've not watched either. I'm still arming and arming. Yeah, no, the US
2: office is just fantastic. Have you, have you seen?
3: I've seen... A... I haven't seen all of the U.S. office. I've seen most, I think, yeah. if not all, of the U.K. office. And w- when the U.S. office came, I was like, "What? what is happening here? I yeah.
2: Don't... No, and, <laughs> and, and everyone thought that until the end of the first season when Steve Carell did The 40-Year-Old Virgin and then suddenly <laughs> they said, oh, we'll give you a second season because Steve's such a big draw card. And they just threw out the book. They said, let's just reimagine this. And the way they took they take the characters and just turn the narrative around and just make you so engaged, Uh, it surprised me. I did not think I would love the US office, but I'm a huge Mm. fan. Huge, huge fan.
0: There you go. Mm. And with that, we shall call the the topic to a close. Ooh. Well, this has been, uh, been an interesting one, Julia, for sure. Thanks for coming Thanks along. Thanks for and, having me. Thanks yeah, for having
1: me. Yeah, oh. chatting about this. I hear,
0: I hear children screaming in the background, so that <laughs> obviously says we did a great job. I have the... some empathy for them, Joel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I like it.
2: And for the parents. There you, there you go. Way to, way to break it down. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, let's do shout-outs, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Julia, why don't you go first? Tell us where people uh, can find your work, what's coming up for you, uh, what you've got on the horizon.
3: Okay so we talked about um you know social media like I, I don't you know I ha, I ha, I will have to do some sort of author page or something yep, yep. Not, I don't got that So <laughs> the book comes out next month and I'll have a, lo- a local uh, Melbourne launch and then I've got a um some in conversation events sure. one with um Bruce Pascoe mm-hmm. um, at I think at Eltham Library um and then some other um in conversation events one with um Arnold Zabel I hope Yep um and yeah, what, that's what's coming up with, mm. with with the book. Is that what? Tony? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> sounds fantastic. Fantastic. Um,
2: and for me, mm-hmm. Ian, uh, you can find me at. Sorry. <laughs> you oh, forgot who you were. I don't know. You thought the voice had changed. <laughs> yeah. um, we didn't change people. Uh, at IHLaking on Twitter, um, ihlaking.com. You can find my. Most recent blog post. uh, That's good. Um, For for me, the biggest thing coming up right now is uh, is our festival. So um, we've got the Specfic Festival. If you're listening to this, you could well have come here from our Twitter account, but uh, if you didn't, um, it's at Specficvic. And yeah, that's we're launching tickets in a couple of weeks.
0: Absolutely, and we're very excited about it. We hope that it'll be a great event, a celebration of speculative uh, fiction uh, and great voices in Australia. And we spoke a little bit about voice. A lot of these authors have commanding voices. That's true. Um, and I think that desire to build the community and present speculative fiction as a, uh, as a, you know, it shouldn't have to be said, but a legitimate writing medium is hmm. incredibly important. And we look forward to doing that. Yes. Um, so, yeah, as Ian said, you can find us at those links. Um, you can find my website. There's nothing on it. Um, <laughs> thepenofjoel.com. Or my uh, tweet. Uh, my Twitter is at thepenofjoel, in which I just... Retweet in so, and <laughs> yeah. occasionally Luke, but Luke doesn't tweet that much, so it's you know.
2: And we all we all retweet Spick Fix so all of us
0: are big proponents big of proponents our own of our festivals. own festival. For some reason, <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> New. be there. Um, also, a uh, little bit of an announcement that we will remind you of on our next uh, podcast is that we're going to be back at uh, Somerset bike uh somerset (laughs) festival up in the uh, gold coast um we look forward to chatting uh, with the students there we're doing a few sessions and our podcast so you'll probably hear those episodes as well as to the frequency of the podcast they'll only be once a month um simply due to the amount of um, time we're putting into the festival but uh never fear there will be plenty of content uh, on that website for sure so uh check it out there um happy Valentine's Day cuz that's when this will come out. So uh yeah, what a great <laughs> podcast for Valentine's
1: Day. That's right. And That's great,
3: great,
2: That's a great, great, great immoral empathy and also happy Chinese New Year yes. because that's when we're coming there out too. So that's okay. a more positive thing. Okay. Right? love hearts. Ooh. Love hearts. Okay, great. Packets. We'll see you in the next episode. Ciao. Bye-bye.
3: See you. <laughs>